Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. Welcome back to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have David. David, welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast. Oh, thank you for um, having me. Yes, yes. Can you uh, just tell us a little bit about your life, marriage, ministry, and some of the current ministry projects you're working on? Surely. Um, when I think in terms of uh, my life, I uh, I was born and, and raised in really basically a non-Christian home. Although my mother was a Christian, she married a non-Christian. But I'm a product of faithful Sunday school teachers, and I think often of the work they did and laid the foundation. And uh, But of course, when you grow up in a home, that the Bible's not um, a very important part. Um, it wasn't really um, until my second or third year teaching that I, the Lord really um, impressed upon me uh, a dedication and a love. And uh, of course, it was shortly thereafter that uh, I met my wife at church, Irene, and uh, we had two boys. And today we have um, 10 grandchildren, and uh, my one son has eight. And uh, the, the ministry um, really developed um, what when I went from elementary to secondary. And uh, I got involved in uh, teaching the uh, creation evolution issue, which I felt that both should be taught in the public system. And out of that, um, developed a number of books. And um, presently, um, I'm working, it'll be about my 15th book. Uh, I'm not too sure um, what direction, but uh, that would be... Uh, uh, one of the reasons where the sort of, uh, when I think in terms of uh, choose, choosing a book, uh, a questionnaire um, is, is foremost, as I think in terms of a questionnaire and then the, the uh, book itself. So that sort of gives you a, a thumbnail, uh, um, sort of uh, biographical sketch of myself. Well, it's wonderful to be able to get to know you a little bit, brother. Um, can you tell us a little bit about this this new book that's coming out here soon from H&E, Defending Jesus' Crucifixion Against Islamic Revisions of Christian, Christian History? Why you wrote it and how you hope it'll be received? Yes, um, it was interesting. Uh, I don't. I just live um, a very short distance from uh, the mosque. Actually, this was the first mosque in Canada, right here in London, Ontario. Uh, we have roughly uh, 40,000 uh, Muslims living in London. Um, it could be the um, half the highest per capita uh, Muslim community in Canada. Uh, Calgary would be very close. So um, my son, who would live close by um, the mosque too, he sort of said, Dad, we should be uh, in some way reaching out to these people. And so we, he and I went out and were handing out tracts. And as I got to know them and had some of them I got to know fairly well, it became very obvious that um, the Quran, its understanding of Jesus' crucifixion is very definite, definitely different from what we have in the Bible. It's just one verse in Sarah 4, 157, as someone mentioned about 40 words, that uh, it said that Jesus was not crucified. And uh, shortly after, I came across a book written by Muhammad Radim, Rahim. And what he has done, uh, in 1976, he wrote a book called Jesus, the Prophet of Islam. Now, the title is somewhat deceptive. Basically, the book is uh, history from the first century right to the 20th century. And what he was doing is uh, what? Reinterpreting. Or this is revisionist history. From an Islamic point of view, that Jesus did not was not crucified on the cross. Um, that book uh, he wrote it um, in '76. He that's um, he uh, died the year after. 
but he came up, he had a friend who was a convert to uh, Islam in 1996. He um, re-edited it, and uh, again, it's um, the book has been very, very popular in the Islamic community. So it's church history from a revisionist point of view. And so that's, uh, I guess, as an historian, uh, that uh, I felt that we, we should have a book that's uh, what, what refuting uh, what the uh, the book was, was saying. Yeah, very good. I, I enjoyed the book. I thought it was very well written and uh, very helpful. Um, how important is it that we have a good understanding of the crucifixion as Christians? Well, that's crucial. When we uh, think in terms of, uh, of the gospel, I mean, Jesus prophesied in um, all of them that he would um, go to the cross and that he would um, be raised from the dead. And of course, I'm just thinking here of um, in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul says this, For I delivered unto you of first importance for what I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scripture. And of course, there in, in what sort of um, synopsis form, uh, Paul really gives the heart of the Gospel, and of course the crucifixion yeah, it, it plays a central role, not only in his writing, but in, in certainly the Bible. Yeah, that, that's a really good answer. Uh, how can the early church fathers help Christians grow in their understanding of the crucifixion? <laughs> Well, we, we would believe that God is a God of history, and uh, he reveals himself in history. And um, if the, the Bible, which was written in the first century, if it teaches that Jesus is crucified, then the outflowing of history um, should, uh, what, portray the same thing. And uh, we find that with the uh, early church fathers. Now, in the book, uh, what I did, I just chose four um, early church fathers. Now, the reason why I chose four was... I took Pontius Pilate and I found um, four early church fathers that made reference to him and that became sort of the, the threat um, up to um, the, um, what, in 381, which would be the, uh, the um, Council of Nicaea in which Pilate is mentioned. So that he became sort of the, the threat. And uh, as you would expect, I mean, the early church fathers, um, they confirmed um, what the scripture said that Jesus that he died, buried, and he rose again. And so it's important for that uh, sort of uh, continuum. I should mention something else, too, that um, when you think in terms of revisionist history, and this is what we have when we think in terms of what the Muslims are doing, they're revising history to make it fit that one verse, Surah 157, that Jesus was not crucified. What is interesting with the, the book by uh, Rahim and Thompson, they also, what they do is they make the Gospel of Barnabas. It is foundational. Now, from their point of view, Barnabas was one of the disciples of Jesus. Now, if you look at the New Testament, you won't find that, but that's not from their point of view um, that he was in this book, which again, um, they said was written in the first century, um, shows a picture of Jesus being the Messiah, but the latter part is that Judas dies in his place. And so this book becomes foundational. But the thing is, both Muslims and non-Muslims believe that it was written in about the 14th century. I mean, there's, well, I'll give you one example. It talks about wine being in wooden caskets. Well, there's no way that would ever happen in the first century. It'd be in, you know, skin, wine skins or animal skins. And uh, it, it, there are just so many things that we know that uh, this Gospel of Barnabas is a, either 14th, 15th century, um, was written at that time. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's really, really good. Um, did you get into, did, did you read much of uh, uh, Athanasius at all or anything like that? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yes. 
Oh no, Athanasius plays a very important part, especially um, I'm looking at this question here. Um, when you think in terms of the Nicene Council, uh, yeah. he, oh no, no, he, I, I have a, a quite a large section there on uh, Athanasius. Of course, he he um, was really a fighting a one man battle for most of his life against the uh, uh, the, the Arians, and uh, he, he would have had a, I don't I think it was 15 years, like he was um, the bishop of, of e in Egypt and Alexandria, and uh, but he spent 15 years sort of an exile coming back and forth and just the, the power of um, the teachings of Arianism um, during the, uh, the 4th century. Yeah, that, that's really good. Uh, just just uh, how important is the Council of Nicaea today to respond to Muslims' claims about Jesus? Well, the, the thing is you have to see sort of the historical um, setting for the Council of Nicaea. The, as I mentioned, a man named Arius who um, was, um, I can call him a pastor uh, of a small church in Egypt, and uh, he came up with the idea that that uh, Jesus uh, was was not the Son of God, and that he was, uh, you know, a mere prophet. The cult of Nicaea, which was really in instituted or initiated too by Constantine, was to um, show that Jesus was indeed God. That was the main main thrust of that um, uh, council against um, Arianism. What is really interesting is, is that the the battle was really very similar to what we have today. I mean, Arianism is very very similar to Jehovah's Witness. The verses that the Jehovah's Witness used to show that Jesus wasn't God was exactly the same one that Arianism. But the important part here is that the Muslims believe that the Council of Nicaea really set up what we believe today, the, the uh, Trinitarian view, but that is not so. I mean, all the Council of Nicaea did was just reaffirm what the first four centuries had, had been saying all along. So, that, so yes, the uh, um, from our point of view, the Council of Nicaea is very important. Um, all it did is just re, uh, as I said before, just state again what the church had already um, believed um, for four centuries. Yeah, you you raise a really good point about uh, about Jehovah's Witnesses, and and I think I think you could even say it, this this issue really goes back to the to the Mormons and the, the Muslims and the Jehovah's Witnesses. So this question could have been all all three related because they all deny in some way the deity of Jesus, and that all goes back to Nicaea and of course Chalcedon too. Well, that's a good point. You talk. I've talked to a number of Jehovah's Witnesses, and they, uh, you, you'd almost think you're talking to a Muslim because they they reinterpret the, the same, exactly the same thing. That Constantine was the one that really that really sort of set the the church as we see it today, which is certainly not true. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I think it's I think it's interesting. I, I I've talked to a number of uh, Muslims and Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons. I, I lived in Idaho, so there's a lot of I did live in Idaho, and so there was a lot of Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and and those types of things, and and I grew up in Seattle, so I, I engaged all three. I've, I've had mm -hmm. Jehovah's Witnesses tell me doctrine doesn't matter, but here they are. They're handing out a, a leaflet. It's like, wait a minute, you don't. You're handing out doctrine. Don't you realize that? And of course, they don't want to. They don't want to even have a conversation at that point because I ask who is Jesus, and they say, oh, I don't believe the Bible that you do. I'm like, wait a minute. I just asked you who is Jesus. I didn't ask you about the Bible. I asked you who is Jesus. You know, so it's just yeah. it's just really interesting. Even if you ask a, the the most simple question, you know, uh, I found they they are very uh, very upset. And if you start talking about things, uh, 
uh, they get kind of upset and defensive and and so yeah well well the Muslims are interesting they have what's called the Injil and this is the, supposed to be the first four gospel but uh, they they don't accept ours the ones that's in scripture they believe that Jesus wrote one but wouldn't you you would you know but it's lost and uh, so the ones that we have now they they say they don't, they're not the true gospel the the Injil which I assume they think Jesus wrote it but anyway someone but it's lost these ones are corrupted which is but with no there's no historical verification mark. yeah exactly exactly how should how should Christians respond to the revisions of history by Muslims well um, revisionist history is wrong and uh, when you when you think and we've already said when you you've got a one point of view and this is this verse and then you're going back and rewriting history to um, to fit in that verse I mean it's wrong um, when you're deliberately and the it is a deliberate distortion of what is true I mean uh, as you read this book Jesus um, the prophet of Islam hardly any reference to primary material uh, I can think of one his name is Basilady and uh, he in um, in book by Arenas uh, in his his book, he makes references of Basilides. Well, when you look at it, and of course, Arenas would see him as a heretic, but when you, you know, talks about the fact that Jesus uh, didn't die on the cross, well, they just gravitate to that one, to that one um, situation. But they don't look at um, the context that Arenas is saying, this man, he's a heretic. And uh, so, um, so, now what is really interesting too, as I was um, writing this book, I came across um, a book by um, Manez Afridi. Uh, she teaches at uh, Manhattan College in New York. And she's written a book called Shoah Through, the Eye, Through Muslim Eyes. Now, the word Shoah um, is really referring to the Holocaust. And uh, I admire this, and, uh, that she's taking on, here she is a Muslim, saying that the, the Holocaust is absolutely verifiable. And so what she did, she went out and interviewed people who had gone to the Holocaust. And then she went to a conference in um, in Germany, I think it was in, uh, uh, I think in Berlin. And now uh, she went to the um, the prison camp at Dachau, the concentration camp. And uh, so she's written this book, and, and what is really interesting, Dave, is that she got... Um, what forced back or people speaking out against her both both the Muslim community and the Jewish community now, now it's understandable for the Muslim community because many of them do not believe that uh, there was such thing as a Holocaust but uh, she as a Muslim has said no it uh, and again I've used her in my book because she was trying to defend historical reality and mm-hmm. she's against revisionist history so we, we have here we have the revisionist history of people who deny the Holocaust and uh, we're, we're the Muslims are doing exactly the same thing where, where are some of the best ways to respond to attacks on the crucifixion of Jesus by Muslims? Well, my approach, and uh, when I, we, we do hand out tracks, although, mind you, I, it's very difficult to get someone to come with me. I, I do it on a more regular basis, as often as I can. What, what I find that, um, I have a track here, it's called Jesus in the Quran, and uh, when I give a track to a Muslim, the first question I ask him, I would say to him, if you die today, what's going to happen? And uh, this is where, in my witnessing, and of course, all Muslims say they don't know. I mean, they, they it's not until they stand before Allah um, and they go to a place called Barza where they have to wait and uh, then of course as Allah ways are good and bad uh, then they um, they will then know whether they can uh, they'll go on to eternal life or to damnation and I've even asked him I say are you what do you think could happen they say I don't know and I remember uh, there's a, a teacher I got to know he was here from Libya he was an elementary school teacher and he was just petrified about death and we, he, I can still remember the first time I met him and, and I had him to my uh, apartment here his wife and uh, we uh, but uh, so that's that's my approach and of course 
then what I can do is come back with a Christian attitude. That the fact that Jesus Christ, that he, he rose from the grave, he died, and his life become my life. And his righteousness is mine, and I have eternal life. I have it now. I say, you, you, you don't have any assurance, but the Bible gives us assurance. So that's been my approach. Uh, I know some, I don't, you get into um, discussions about the Quran and Muhammad and so on. Uh, personally, I, I think we're, we're, we're wanna do, we want to deal with a man's soul and just where he's going to spend eternity. Yeah, ask, asking, I like that, asking the most important question. Uh, you know, what reminds me of Paul in Acts 16. What must I do to be saved? Believe yeah. on the name of the Lord yeah. Jesus Christ and you can be yeah. saved, yeah. you and your household. Yeah. The most important question no, I, is, is to get to the to the core issue. So I, I like that. That's right. Yeah, my, my son now, he's, um, he, when he deals with Muslims, now he does take a little different path. He's he, he done a lot of work looking at the, the manuscripts and uh, he's been, he can be very, you know, of course Muslims say that they, the, I'm, I'm sure you know this, that they say the, the Quran has not changed from the time um, of Muhammad to today. Well, that, that's, that's totally wrong. It has changed. But he's done some work on, you know, the manuscript and so on, and uh, he, he's had some he's, he's had some effectiveness that way. So he, each person, you know, uh, you, you, you work to your strengths. Yeah. And uh, I, I agree with you. Let's get to the core issue. Where are you going to spend eternity? Yeah, I, I think one other thing with groups like this, uh, I think we'll talk about this here in just a minute. Is is to really take James one nineteen seriously and uh, Luke six forty five, which where Jesus says, "Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks." So people are going to always, when you ask them a question, they're going to give you material to 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 respond to, and there's always truth to to respond to those claims from Scripture. So you can just use what they're saying and just start asking more questions to make sure that you you understand and they understand that you understand them. And I think yeah. that that approach is really worth. It works with atheists. It works. It's worked with Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses, Muslims, etc., and so forth. That that would be that would be my thing. It's just make sure you listen and and really understand yeah. before you just go on the offensive or not offensive, but yeah. you you're sharing truth with them. So yeah. yeah. Well, another thing is it too. You see, all Christianity is no religion. I mean, I ask sometimes people. Do you have to be perfect to go to heaven? And people say, Well, no. Well, you and I both, we do have to. That God is absolutely perfect, and, and God, He demands what He is, and He can't demand any less. And, uh, Mankind, by nature, we know that all sin and fall short of the glory, the perfection of God. And so we find here that um, through Jesus Christ, through his substitutionary death, his righteousness becomes mine. And so on that basis, you see, I gain entry into God's presence through his. And whereas in the case of Muslims, and uh, they are, I mean, the Quran is, um, has it from cover to cover that if you're good, the good has to exceed your bad. And, uh, of course, we know from Scripture that uh, one sin will send you to hell forever. And uh, so that's what my approach with them too. Because they, 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 of course, keep in mind that Muslims they believe that everyone's born perfect, mm. and that you only you only sin. That's why you they need 124,000 prophets because you say man by nature will fall, and so he needs these prophets that guide them along into the next life. Yeah. Wow. What what guidance do you have to help Christians evaluate arguments from groups like Muslims so they can thoughtfully respond to them? I I, I thought of this illustration. Um, I don't know if they do it. Today, but I, I know in the past they did. Like um, with the bank teller, um, what they would do to spot counterfeit money coming, you know, um, over the desk. What they did was they trained them to handle good money, not counterfeit money. And so when the teller, when someone passed them a counterfeit bill, just by the feel, they knew that this this was counterfeit. And uh, I, I thought of that thing. You see, the same thing is that we as Christians have to understand the truth. We need to be immersed in the truth and. When we have that, then we can, we can spot, and you've mentioned a 
number. I mean, Muslims are just one. But we have Mormons, Haim, you know, that uh, Western University of Western Ontario is here. And uh, we have a, a number of young Muslims coming up, Muslim, um, Mormons coming up here every, every summer. And, uh, and of course, Jehovah's Witnesses, they, they don't go near the university. But the point is, I think, is that we have to be grounded in what we believe, particularly with Muslims. They, they love to, to debate religious topics. And so they, they're attuned to doing this. And so I would think that, first of all, you have to, we have to really have a foundation of what we believe. And, of course, the fact that uh, the, the, the central doctrine is that Jesus did die. He took the death that I deserved. And uh, so I think one has to be really firm in their, their uh, faith before you go out dealing with Muslims. And I think that would be true to uh, what you're saying, Dave, with, with all the other cults. They all have they all their ways of, uh, of discerning the truth. Yeah, um, I, I was thinking about this. What, what In my experience, I, I've heard a Muslim um, a teacher teach before, and that was quite a, quite a jarring experience for me. And he preached on uh, Deuteronomy. 1815 you know where it says that there's one coming greater than greater than Moses and we as Christians would say that's that's Jesus you know it's looking forward to Jesus and they would say that that is you know Muhammad is the is the great prophet who's come to uh he is the greater uh he, he's greater than Moses which we know that yeah. that that doesn't jive with the with the New Testament either so what what, what is even more bizarre this is that I just put my Bible here but they cried off. I don't know if you knew this or not. But in John, John, uh, John 16, where it talks about you know the coming of the Holy Spirit, uh, 14 and 16, they take that word parakletos, which is the Greek word for the you know for the um, uh, the helper, and they twist it and they say uh, they change the, the the vowel structure and they make it um, the what. The glorified one hmm. and of course they say who's the glorified one muhammad and so they would read for example 14 16 where it has the word another helper or paracletos they use this to say it's referring to muhammad but but the thing is you read it and even they don't even he don't even put down the correct greek word hmm. so so in that interpretation muhammad be the one that since the paraclete is the one who comes alongside so muhammad yeah. be the one that comes alongside of you yeah well they so then the greek word so then then what they're it, yeah then then they're claiming yeah, Go, go ahead. They're, no, they're playing then that in John's gospel that he was already prophesying that um, Muhammad was to come. And what it really wasn't, you see, they don't see it being the Holy Spirit. They say, yes, yeah. this is, you see, but I mean, it's a, just a total perversion of what the Bible's saying. Even, they can't even get the Greek word spelled properly. Yeah, that, just, I was just thinking about this. That would make, that would make the Holy Spirit, uh, well, that would make a law, excuse me, uh, immutable in that, <laughs> in that interpretation. I mean, so then, then you're, then the whole central claim is that they believe in one God, right? So then, yes. then you get into so then Muhammad is basically God in that interpretation. Well, they would see being helper. They would never see Muhammad God. Um, they, that he is the yeah. you know the um, the magnified one. They right. they see it. No, he's never God. But uh, there's only one God. And that's all. Um, but of course, he he um, it is the last prophet. Right. And so they they try to say that Bible predicts the coming. But it means that well, it, it, it's again here's here we're revising the text. Never mind history. Just revising the text. And, uh, but it, it's, it's, it's ludicrous, really. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, that's, that's why I liked your answer. You know, we have to get in the Word. We have to study the Word. We have to to know what it what it teaches, what it and what it means, and then we can engage in these sorts of things. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, to help them understand. What's amazing is is, is Jesus in Luke twenty four twenty seven. He, you know, he's coming to these people on the road to Emmaus, right? These disciples, and they and they're you know wandering walking around and they, they have no idea who Jesus is until uh, Luke 24 20 or yeah 24 
five, when he opens their eyes, he has no idea who they are. But even before that, in Luke 24, 27, he opens their eyes. Or, I mean, he interprets all these things. He gives the greatest sermon ever. Um, oh, yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, we have to have right, and that's where we get the word. The word there, uh, interpret is the word. Uh, it's where we get the word uh, hermeneutics, which is, of course, right. we know the art and science of biblical interpretation. So we have to rightly handle yeah. the word. How you do that? You get it in the word, as you said. So Yeah. And what I find, too, you see, for example, in verse 27, Jesus took him back to Moses and the prophets. And, of course, over in uh, uh, the next uh, verse 40, uh, you know, 44, where he says, um, My words which I spoke to you, I was, I was still with you. All things written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And so... There's the Old Testament, and so the old. So when you and I read the Old Testament, we read it through. Yes, Jesus is the Creator. We, of course, in John one, He says, "Created all things." And so we look through the Old Testament. We're looking for Messiah, Jesus. He's written on every page. Yeah, that's really good. Where can people go to find more about your work on, on social media or otherwise, brother? I I I would draw a blank on that one. I I'm not on YouTube. I'm not on um, any of the, um, for example, Facebook and those things. Uh, H and E would be the the place to um, to find my books. Uh, I, I I try to keep away from social media. I, I find it can be very what it can draw your time. And so um, and if they're if they're really if they're really you know they're uh, they really want to know about my books. Um, all um, fourteen are uh, in the University of Western Ontario in their catalog. All my books are. There, so but you'd have to be really. Uh, <laughs> you know, I don't think it's going to happen. But uh, no, I, I'm not really involved in social media. I do have a cell phone. Well, but that I just find it too uh, too time consuming. I understand. H and E, H and E has them. Look at look at look them up on H and E. Yeah. Uh, oh, that's what I would say. Yeah. They're um, the, the the most current books I've written, uh, and and hopefully with the next few days um, this one's going to go to print so um, uh, so that's fine yeah wonderful brother well you know there, there's a lot that we could really talk about about this this subject David just as we wrap up do you have any takeaways for our listeners yeah I, I think um, that when you think in terms of revisionist history and uh, um, this revisionist history by meant for is wrong. And uh, I, I think in, certainly in North America, Islam is growing. Uh, they have large families. Um, we just, just look in, for example, in Europe, for example, France, and especially in England. I mean, there are cities in England that uh, basically are predominantly Muslim, and they've taken over. And of course, what they do is they would introduce Sharia law. And uh, whether, um, in my understanding in your country, I, I think that uh, in Dearborn, I mean, there's a large I understand there's a large Muslim community there yeah. and so when we think in terms of North America Islam is growing and uh, so we have here I think we're going to be confronted with this whole idea of that uh, because of their belief that Jesus didn't die on the cross and in the book they they have at least three different versions of trying to explain it that um, we need to be apprised of uh, what really history is all about and uh, as I said before I really did appreciate Manet's um, Afridi uh, in her book here's a Muslim saying that the Holocaust happened. And so we have a contemporary issue that uh, we have, and uh, here we have another issue. Now, I just should mention one other thing, too, is that, uh, and particularly with the Holocaust, the, the Internet has become a vehicle, a tremendous vehicle, to undermine the historicity of the Holocaust. Holocaust. And I, I could see that uh, the same thing could happen with this way, that with the growing influence of, of Islam, I could see that, that uh, their teachings could become, using the Internet, could become, you know, very prominent in the eyes of people. So we need to be alert that 
this is out there. Yeah, that, that's that's really really well said. Uh, we need to be alert. We need to we need to know our Bibles. That's what Jude three yeah. tells us. We need to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. But we need to do so with you know apologetics isn't just giving an answer for the reason for the hope that we have. It's it's a whole life. And so mm-hmm. yeah, we need to we need to give a, a whole answer through our lives and through our witness to these things and, yeah. and grow in the Word. So I appreciate those yeah, words. I, well, I agree with you. I think that. Uh, I guess as an older Christian, uh, it's only of late that I've really started memorizing large passages. My, my son has, has memorized a good part of the Bible, but I've just begun to really appreciate that once you've, you know, you've hidden the word in your heart, that uh, it, it's been a blessing. I wish I'd done it earlier. That I would be, if for early, for young Christians, I, I think that uh, it's time well spent memorizing the scriptures and, and have them hidden in your heart. Uh, I remember once a person said, if you were sort of taken as a Christian and put in prison how much of the bible and they wouldn't give you a bible how much would you have hidden in your heart and uh, i i that that really challenged me and uh and so I've been committing, committing myself more and more to the memorization of Scripture. That's really good, brother. Well, I've I've really enjoyed the time today, David, and and thank you for oh, your yeah. th- thank you for your very thoughtful work in this book. It's it's needed and it's important. So so I appreciate yeah. your work. Well, listen, and again, I want to thank you for the questions. I think that uh, it just sort of uh, it, it's given it's given us a, a structure that you and I can work through, and uh, I've appreciated the uh, our exchange one with the other. Thank you, brother. Hopefully, you have a okay, great rest. Lord bless and uh, thank you very much you're welcome thank you for listening to the equipping you and grace podcast if you enjoyed it please subscribe rate us on the app and share this with your friends and family on social media if you want to find us on social media you can find us on twitter at servants of grace on instagram at servants of grace or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.